The alts industry is changing. Financial advisors want greater access to alternative investments to better serve their clients. More than eight out of 10 financial professionals believe that all retail investors should have access to such investments. In response, some of the world's top alternative asset managers are seeking ways to partner with independent advisors. And why wouldn't they? There's potentially a massive opportunity for growth, product innovation, education, technology advancements, and custodial efficiencies are driving change. Case, the leading alternative investment platform, is seeking to bridge the gap between independent advisors and the alternative asset manager community. Welcome to the new era of access. Well, thank you all for joining us this morning. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Matt. Ted. Nice little video. It's kind of cute. Good to see you. Thanks. Good to see you. So the, the title of this panel is New Era of Access to Alternative Investments. Yep. Um, what's new? Great question. Uh, well, first of all, uh, great to be here. Uh, Salt's always a, a great event uh, and honored to be here with my fellow panelists, Tracy, David, and Ted, thanks for, for moderating. Uh, what's new? Um, maybe a half step back uh, for those who aren't as familiar with the U.S. wealth management market. Uh, currently, U.S. wealth management is a $40 trillion industry. That means financial advisors across America advise to or manage uh, up to $40 trillion. In 2030, that number is going to go to $60 trillion, most likely. Um, but what's very interesting is that allocations to alternative investments, unlike institutional investors, 30 to 50% of portfolios, we're still seeing allocation rates in really the 3 to 5% on average, most of which actually is a zero. Um, so what's new? Technology and the demand for alternatives is transforming wealth management. Right now, if you look at the increasing rates of alternative investments within wealth management, we're seeing between a five and $10 trillion reallocation over the next decade into alternatives. And as a result, asset managers, alternative asset managers are waking up uh, rapidly, positioning their firms to win in wealth. Let me just follow up with that. Is there a, a why now in that? Because to get from whatever 40 to 60, somewhere you had to go from 20 to 40, and there's still very, very little in this channel in alternatives. Yeah, you know, what, what's, what's the rise of the three-dimensional portfolio? What's causing that? You know, historically, there's just been a, a lack of access. It's been very complicated for financial advisors to be treated like institutions. Uh, large asset managers haven't necessarily taken the time to build businesses to cater to uh, financial advisors. So uh, at the end of the day, they've been left with the you know, equities and fixed income as their two primary tools. Um, the why now is that that two-dimensional portfolio has largely failed. Uh, so alternatives now, or the new 30-30-40 uh, portfolio is really taking hold. And now with firms like Case and other platforms out there that have solved a lot of the cumbersome barriers or hurdles and made it easier to invest, it's really unlocked this capital. And we're seeing, frankly, a, a tidal wave of capital coming out of wealth management, out of traditional assets, and into alternative investments. David, you've been on the ground doing this for a long time. Um, I'd love to hear your perspective on what you feel is new in, in access and what's really happening here on the ground with alternatives. 
Sure, Ted. I, I actually want to add to what Matt said. Not only is the average uh, retail type account allocated uh, supposedly around three to four percent, but that's often only one product and in a daily liquid product at that, which is inherently subpar to the real LP world in private assets and, and hedge fund product and so forth. I think that um, a catalyst, when you say why now, is the end of financial repression caused by the zero bound in an era of quantitative easing. Indexing ha in the equity side has been a free layup for asset allocators who are used to performance chasing. Uh, any belief that multiple expansion cannot carry the index the next decade. I don't think it has to be a decade like 2000 to 2010. It doesn't have to be dot-com and bookended by financial crisis. It just has to be a normal decade of regular drawdowns and all the things we didn't get in 14 years of equities being up post-GFC. That has also held back what would otherwise be a very logical evolution into alternatives. And I think that's where Matt's right, that the opportunity set is not going from 4 to 7%. It's from going from 4 to 30%. And I think access, technology, superior product, fee compression, competition, education. alpha generation, education, so forth and so on. So one of the things that I really scratch my head about when you're talking about this amount of money moving into a space is the people on the institutional side are looking at, say, valuations in private equity, or the flood of capital on the sidelines in venture capital. And we'll talk to Tracy in a second about hedge funds. And say, well, the forward-looking returns don't look nearly as attractive as what we saw in the past. How do the, when you're sitting in that seat with your clients and trying to reconcile those two things and saying, hey, we need to have more money in alternatives. Oh, and by the way, you, know, you could look back and say, these have been good, but most people look out and say, well, they won't be as good going forward as they were. So that's a comment based on entry-level multiples for PE. And I would start by saying, does anyone honestly think it's different in public equity? <laughs> that argument is not bad. It's just universally true. It's true of any risk asset you're entering. So then you say, who are the disciplined private equity buyers that will not overpay egregiously, that will not be as susceptible? The index on public equity has no choice but to overpay if multiple elevation is a problem. If multiples are too high, indexing, you can't make a choice around it. On the private equity side, you look to disciplined, experienced buyers that can add value strategically and with deployment of capital. Yeah. So, David, you mentioned that this, that the products that were available in the past from the retail world were kind of watered-down versions of the LP world. And, you know, Tracy, you and I have uh, <laughs> been in this LP world and the hedge fund side for some time. Um, what have you seen in the evolution of what inst the way institutions were investing yeah. that's now gravitated over to what you're seeing in retail? Well, you really go back to the David Swinson model, and you were there. What was yeah. that, 30 years ago, right? I mean, so way, you know, way back when it was a balanced portfolio, then David Swinson started this whole kind of revolution in asset management, which is what you guys are talking about, which is a shift to asset uh, alternatives. So hedge funds, private assets, real estate, and whatnot. And that, you know, alternatives across the board have been taking share from traditional assets for that time frame. So that's been an evolution. More recently, as you've both said, you know, the high net worth clients said, wait a minute, we want some of that. We want better returns, you know, more predictable, lower vol. 
And to be frank, private assets have outperformed everything, including hedge funds. Even though I'm in the hedge fund space, we're also in the private credit space. So that's been the evolution. So alternatives have taken share. Uh, retail high net worth clients are saying, we want that. That demand, I mean, it's a huge market, as Matt said, growing market. The demand is there. On the other side, the institutional, man uh, the institutional world, retirement funds and whatnot, are not growing. So alternative firms have saturated the institutional market. And so the two trends, the demand by retail and then big alternative firms saying, where do we grow? It's retail. Like they, and Blackstone has done this brilliantly. Matt and I talked about this last week. So those two trends are coinciding. And so you're seeing this shift. And now finally, these products are being um, sort of available, made available. And I'll say the biggest trend in institutional asset management, which is quickly being adopted by retail, is private credit, which is actually a newer asset class, maybe 10 years, I don't know. It's been, and it's really been growing in the institutional world for maybe five years. The big private equity firms have gotten into the space. They offer these huge funds, and now they're going onto the wealth uh, platforms as well. So that's being offered. So I say that just to describe how quickly now kind of the retail space is adopting these sort of, you know, uh, trends that have been going on in institutional land for a long time. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, Tracy. You know, I, I, I look back over the history of CASE, which has been more than a decade, and I can remember multiple conversations three, five, seven years ago with some of the largest asset managers in the world trying to explain that, yes, I know you like your institutions and your sovereign wealth funds as investors, but if you just look <laughs> over here, there's a multi-trillion dollar network of capital that has no exposure to alternative investments. And if you're a public alternative asset manager especially, where is your growth going to come from? Uh, and uh, oftentimes that was met with a bit of a blank stare. That is no longer met with a blank stare. Uh, if you're an alternative asset manager today and you are not focused on this five to ten trillion dollar jump ball that's going to be coming into the market of new capital, uh, you're going to get left behind. The firms that are winning in wealth right now and we all know their names. Uh, you know, of course, the Apollos, uh, the Blackstones, they're big names, but we are still early innings. That means, and most, most of wealth management actually isn't even familiar with anyone. So if a firm is willing to commit uh, to bringing product into the wealth management channel, it still is a bit of a level playing field. And we've noticed that the firms that do three things are the firms that win. One, tone from the top. The CEOs or leaders of the business are saying, we're going to commit to this channel, and everyone in the organization knows it. Two, they're dedicating separate resources to it. It's not going to be an afterthought of their institutional marketing efforts. And three, they're going to create product that is designed to meet the needs of David Bonson. They're not going to go with a 12-year drawdown, lock-up institutional product. David might need a product with lower minimums that's scalable across 200 clients that might be evergreen kicking out income. Like, they're get, everyone's getting a lot smarter. So when you have both sides of the market, wealth management demanding better returns, disappointed with the 60-40, and you have asset managers fully woken up to a great revenue and growth driver, which is wealth management assets, now we have this new era of access, and that's what's happening now. And, and Ted, if I can add to that, I think that it also comes at a time of incredibly good luck because it's at a moment in our industry 
where so many of the more sophisticated advisors who are more likely to use alternative product to understand private credit, understand hedge funds, have left into an RIA channel, family office, private wealth. Part of the reason I think some of these conversations Matt would have had with some of these big managers years ago, where they would have been a bit skeptical, is they detected a lack of sophistication in the asset allocators of the retail channel. Now that you have this massive increase, trillions of dollars that has left wirehouses and come, and now they have tools. And I'm not just saying that this Matt's on stage, but a platform like Case does a lot of the lifting for the advisor. My company now has technology, has an apparatus, has information, IDD, ODD, because an intermediary like Case can provide that. Blackstone's, Apollo's, these managers benefit from this, these industry circumstances tremendously. Tracy, I want to ask what Matt and David are talking about sounds like large guys win. Matt's talking about you need the leadership from the top, you need the resources, you need the branding that these wealth advisors have to understand who these products are. Hedge funds led private equity in... In, in this attempt to move, we'll probably go back 10 years, maybe longer. Yep. What did you see that worked and didn't from the hedge fund managers in terms of accessing some of this capital? Right. Well, I think you saw a similar trend going back a decade. I mean, you had the big guys that went onto these platforms, but there was also um, um, interest on behalf of these platforms for differentiated firms. So we're a much smaller firm in the space and we work with wealth platforms. It's probably 30% of our business is sort of wealth and high net worth family offices. So, you know, what worked is I think is usually led by the big firms because they have the resources to get in and the sort of smaller medium sized firms then figure it out. But I agree with Matt. So much of this is about resourcing properly, understanding the space. It's different than institutional asset management. You really have to work with the advisors. You need to do a lot of education and obviously get the products right. Yeah. But I mean, to be honest, hedge funds have been on the platforms and um, just private assets has out, have outperformed hedge funds over the past decade. So, you know, they're still out there. They still play a good role. I think the the space, just like institutions, shifted from thinking, oh, it's an ex equity substitute to it's really a diversifier and depending on the fund, you know, it fits, it absolutely should create alpha for you. But um, it fits in a different place than private assets where you're getting an illiquidity premium, a scale premium, and, you know, importantly, uh, no regular valuation marks. So it just looks like a much smoother return pattern. Yeah. I want to dive a little bit into the, let's just call it the product creation from three different perspectives. So David, to start with you, if I'm inside the room when you're having a conversation with one of your clients who has no money in alternatives, why don't you level set for us, what is that initial educational conversation like? Well, first of all, if we have a client who has no money in alternatives, that's on us, not on the client, because we're the fiduciary. We're supposed to be wearing the pants and telling them uh, what is best for them. And so we do not have clients with zero in alternatives because we think it's best for clients to have alternatives. But of course, we have to have a conversation with them. 
and educate and explain. And it does center around that diversifier word. Essentially, I believe capturing risk premium out of a free enterprise system will deliver most people financial goals. The problem is most people get in the way of that process working, behaviorally and, and emotionally and so forth. So alternatives are meant to uh, produce non-correlated streams of return. And we can do that with private assets, with credit, with, with uh, hedge funds, real estate. There's a lot of different strategies that we now gain. Um, we do basically lead with the idea that we do not believe most people can live with equity drawdowns as consistently as they historically happen. But more and more, we're also leading with the fact that we think fixed income for the next 10, 20, 30 years, not 10, 20, 30 months. I don't even know if people use 30 months anymore. That's considered long-term. I'm talking multiple decades that I believe the 1980 to 2020 period of fixed income by math cannot happen again. And therefore, we are using alternatives more and more as a diversifier to fixed income, not merely to equity beta. Hey, David, I just want to add on that. You hit a, on a great point, yeah. which is kind of the, the end client experience and so forth. But I, when I think back at you know, what are the real roadblocks for you know, access to alternatives, either from advisors or the end clients. It goes back to education. Uh, we did a, uh, a survey at the 2022 Morningstar Conference this year. We surveyed hundreds of advisors, and we asked a very simple question, you know, what's the number one barrier for you to invest in alternative investments? And education, lack of education was it. You know, it's, and when I say education, I mean, how do they imp uh, implement alts into a portfolio? Um, how do they understand different strategies? But number one, how do they talk to their clients about alternatives? You know, you, you're up here, I think you represent the less than 1% of advisors in America that have a very high degree of sophistication in alternative investments. The vast majority of that $40 trillion uh, on the way to $60 trillion that's creating this tidal wave of new capital has no clue on how to do this. So we, as an industry, if uh, need to help and assist uh, financial advisors to become fluent in alts, and it's picking up steam every single day and really creating that wave. Uh, so, um, you know, you're you're in a really unique position to be a thought leader, and um, you know that's making a difference. Well, I just want to can I reiterate? You both brought it up, but it's just so huge, especially for the space. We've had up until recently a 14-year bull equity market. Yeah and a 40-year bull, you know, rates market. That's right. And, and that has just warped everyone's perspective. I think until the sell-off, the NASDAQ had an annualized return of 14%, you know, for a, a long time, a decade or whatever. And that is so unsustainable. That is sort of double what you expect from equity markets. So that, and I think that's a huge part of the education people and, and now given what's going on with inflation and the Fed and you know potential recession or whatnot people are getting that starting to get it but that really I think everyone is so anchored to this crazy unusual market environment that really has been driven largely by central bank liquidity yep. I mean there, there have been some other things but it's so unusual and that's just over and that comes down Tracy I think to Matt's point about education is uh, this, there's nothing that bothers me more than this line of, oh boy, can you believe how badly hedge funds have underperformed? And we take it at face value that if the S&P's 13 and a great hedge fund's 10, that it underperformed. And it's a lie. 
but it centers, it comes down to bad information, misunderstanding what the objective of the hedge fund is, what the volatility profile is supposed to be, where illiquidity is supposed to produce a, a benefit in a client portfolio. There's an overall experience that I don't think one can, first of all, think about as an allocator, second of all, communicate to a client without the education and the information that Matt's talking about. And the technology plays in as well, the ease of use. There, it's just the easiest thing in the world to drop a ticket in an index fund. And there's a bit more layers into being an alternative investor, regulatory and so forth. Hopefully some more of the regulatory walls come down, but certainly the technology walls for the advisors. More information, more process, more organization, back office, custodial, performance reporting, all of that has gotten exponentially better. And not over 20 years, over three years. I mean, the light speed at which these things are getting better is really encouraging. Yeah. I'm imagining. Just on Tracy's yeah. comment there, I'm sorry, Ted. No, go ahead. Just on Tracy's comment, you know, as a platform, we're neutral. We don't have a view, we just observe. We observe how advisors allocate and to what strategies. And when you start to line up the current environment just to what you were talking about and, and the uncertainty uh, and where money is flowing to, whether it's you know the global uncertainty that we have with the energy crisis potentially in Europe or Ukraine or inflation domestically or the political polarization that's you know we're about, we're facing right now, asset managers are positioning well. So you know we're seeing more and more flows right now that are going into kind of macro strategies, mm -hmm. both quantitative and discretionary, to be able to play uh, global events. We're seeing hard asset uh, strategies, real estate, etc., collecting dollars more and more. Uh, we're seeing opportunity zones uh, uh, from a taxation standpoint becoming quite popular, but that's an ongoing shift. And um, as a result, though, it all speaks to alts being more used as a tool, more awareness by advisors. Right? We measure something on our platform, which is a first-time user of our platform, a financial advisor that logs in and buys an uh, alt for the first time. Uh, that used to be you know, one a month and one a week. It's over two to three times per day. We'll onboard between 500 and 800 RIAs wow. this year alone that we anticipate control between 1.1 and $1.4 trillion in assets. So the speed that we're seeing, and again, that's not to promote the firm, it's just to give you a lens on the speed of this, of this transition that's happening, or this reallocation of assets to alts, is very, very meaningful. And you're seeing, again, the asset managers not ignoring that trend and really staffing up. There's, we keep just jumping in, but this is just a sort of a footnote to that comment, the speed to which the retail market is adopting these things. There's apparently, um, there's a trend in institutional asset management called co-investment. So, you know, um, managers, debt or, or credit or equity managers have deals and they will offer pieces of the deals to clients. And that's, it's been an interesting trend. And I've been told that some of the wealth platforms are starting to offer a, sort of the corollary, you know, of direct deals from private equity funds for their clients, for their larger clients. And I found that interesting because it's pretty new in institutional land and it's already happening mm -hmm. in your space. Mm -hmm. So I think you're exactly right. It's just moving very quickly. Yeah, that's a good point. As I hear about, I mean. Oh, hi, Ted. It, oh, hi, Ted. It's so exciting when you hear, because you don't in asset management these days, that there's just a flood of money coming to a space and people are lining up to take advantage of it. What can go wrong? 
Well, you know, I make the point all the time that do not invest in alternatives because it's lower risk. It's different risk. I think that what goes wrong is if they believe they're, look, th this is sort of the, the pitch people use in Millennium all the time. This is uh, no matter what, you're going to make 7% forever and ever uh, strategy, and that's in a bad year, right? Well, okay, there's this historical track record that's unbelievable, but the reality is selling alternatives as when markets go down, they'll go up, and then when markets go up, they'll still go up is a silly pitch. It is non-correlation, which can cut both ways. I tell people, if my hedge fund manager is down when markets are up, I don't know anything about their performance. Because for all I know, it was just simply something idiosyncratic that went against them, but at least they're not managing to a high level of equity beta, which is why I hired them. And so what could go wrong is just simply manager diligence, manager execution, strategy proficiency, and this is why I think asset allocators have loved the passive long-only space. They don't have to do any work, not just technologically and operationally. They don't have to do research. The tools that the alternative platforms provide for research, not just the ODD, but especially the, the investment due diligence, I hire entire teams of people, some of them are here today, that research this stuff thoroughly. We're going through all of the papers. We insist on meeting with the managers in person um, because we want to be able to know the strategy and understand it. But that's what can go wrong is if the expectation is that it's a secret sauce where you can eat all the ice cream you want and not gain weight. There is risk, it's just more idiosyncratic than beta risk. Yeah, I think in the what can go wrong category, um, Yes, Dave, everything you just, you just lined up there. I think one of the larger issues is if asset managers or financial advisors are buying a single fund based on a single track record and not approaching alternative investments as a solution yeah. for a portfolio. And I know that rings true with you at Corbin and you, David. Yeah. Um, that's why we're concerned about the direct-to-consumer aspect of alternative investments going not through financial advisors, but actually direct to an individual because individuals tend to make more bets. You know, I'd like to buy Tesla, I'd like to buy Apple, I want to buy Blackstone, not to pick any one fund. What, that is not the right approach. We believe that working with financial advisors, giving them a menu and you having a solutions-based approach to alternative investments in a portfolio is the safest and smartest way to go about it. So what could go wrong? Picking a fund like a stock and thinking that you have broad-based alternative investment exposure and frankly, at least until further notice, not working with a financial advisor. Now, Corbin does a great job because you guys, you play a big role in that diversification as well. So we would put that, you know, at top of the list and right behind that is buying track record and not understanding strategy. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty obvious, but... Yeah, um, I think that what's great about what's happening in your space, though, is now you have people doing the work, yeah. really doing the work to understand what you're offering. It wasn't really the case in the past. So you've got professional, you know, research people on these staffs that do the same or more level of work than the institutions have done historically. So that's very encouraging. You know, what could go wrong? The worst thing you can ever do with clients is surprise them. Negative surprise, right? So mis-selling something, not educating properly. 
Or the other thing in asset management, when certain spaces or funds, more funds with firms get too big, you know, they say size is the enemy of the performance. So you have to watch that and make sure you have the right set of offerings, yeah. right? Absolutely. You know, just to comment on the SEC and what they've been doing, and I think that's actually very relevant to our conversation right now. You know, historically the SEC has taken the view that alternatives are, you know, possibly a little more risky, there are, you know, you need to have a certain net worth. The implication there is if you can afford to lose it, it's okay. Um, but what's happened over the last decade especially is that the SEC has kind of realized that, gosh, I think alts have actually done a really great job in portfolios, and we've put the bar so high that maybe we've excluded too many people from this opportunity. So you're seeing a relaxing of the accreditation rules. They're being more inclusive. They're finding more lanes. Again, just one more thing that's powering this new wave of capital coming in. If you're able to then go beyond just the ultra wealthy and start to include alternatives to the accredited and mass affluent, that just broadens the base uh, even, even further. So there's a lot of macro trends here right now, you know, including the SEC, including technology, advisor demand, and manager innovation that is really supporting this uh, new era of access. I think like a lot of government regulators, there could have been good intentions but really poor execution because they started off with a premise that was false, which is that the biggest risk to the little guy is liquidity. And so what they did is they essentially created a big industry around daily alts, mm. daily NAV, which were inherently subpar products. So they, they allowed the smaller investor access to worse product. If you understand risk is more than just liquidity, then I think you can democratize and provide really good solutions to investors that are appropriate to them. But I think the regulators were behind on that and hopefully it's being improved upon. So I guess we only have time for about one more question. And I think most of the people here are probably either managers or allocators. Maybe we have some of the fortunate clients of, of David as well. Um, what advice, one, one piece of advice would you give someone in one or the other of those seats that said, okay, there's a gold rush happening, I want to pan? Yep. Go you, you go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> You're up. From the perspective of an asset manager, an alts asset manager, um, if you are not designing your business to take advantage of the wealth management community, that means leadership, resources, product design, if that's not a focus, you are missing one of the greatest reallocations and one of the greatest opportunities uh, that you'll ever see. Um, and then flip side, if you're a financial advisor and you are not actively incorporating alternative investments in your portfolios for your clients, your business is completely at risk in the next three to five years. Yeah, um, if you're an asset manager and you're not in alternatives or moving into alternatives in addition to obviously trying to organize properly to capture the retail opportunity forget about it you know the index funds the the passive space in ETS I mean the momentum with which that has taken off I mean that's been around forever it's been taking share forever from traditional asset management firms but that is crazy so you really need to shift your product line and I think this is more just complimentary to what both Tracy and Matt have said, but 
candidly, the uh, asset managers need to understand the nuances with the private wealth space that are somewhat different than sovereign wealth and, and endowments and, and pension funds. There is needs to be met, and they have a really fantastic opportunity to do that, where on the other side of it could be trillions of dollars of asset flows. This is an yep. incredibly exciting time to be an asset allocator and an alternative asset manager. Matt, Tracy, David, thank you so much for sharing this incredibly exciting window of what's happening to come in alternatives. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Ted. Thank you.